listening. Thank you for downloading, and don't forget to subscribe to iTunes. Uh, today, tonight, wherever you're listening around the world, we have three of our regulars. Uh, Tony, how are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. That's away. Carl, how are you, buddy? Very good, thank you very much. Very good. Three points, mate. Makes a smile, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. How are you, Savvy? Yeah, very good. Doing very well. That's all right. Uh, Arsenal v Bournemouth. Tony, let's get straight into it. I heard your comments on the um, earlier podcast you did did today. Uh, anything to add on that, Mike? Uh, I mean, I've watched it back since, and uh, I pretty much agree with everything I said, which is quite unusual, because usually you have your after-the-game thoughts, and then you watch it back, and you... Um, your opinion slightly changes because you see some things differently. Uh, the only thing I would say, and I, it was one of the first posts I've done when I was on Clock and Talk, is people not watching games, just listening to commentators and, and forming their opinion off that. Yep. Because I've, I've been reading this morning that Sanchez was amazing when he came on, and I thought, oh, he, he, he looked bad. He looked good. He was he's bad, but he didn't, I don't think he made a, a difference. I don't think it was like, wow, this guy's on the pitch, the whole game's different. When he come on, and on TV, he looked good. To me, um, I heard, overheard you. You're talking about he looked heavy. I yeah, look, I, I tend to agree a little bit there. I don't know what it is. It's not overweight, like you said, but he he is he does look heavier. I, I don't understand how though, but I do see what you're saying there. Um, but yeah, no, he, yeah. he did look good. Uh, Carl, what you what your thoughts on it, mate? Uh, I think it was a very good game. Everyone played their part very well. Wenger clearly got his tactics right, also known as playing people in their right positions. But um, on to the uh, Sanchez point, yeah, I, I agree. He he seemed a bit he seemed a bit heavy coming onto the pitch. He didn't really set the world alight, to be honest. Um, I don't know if it, if it's his mental state or, as Tony said, the the you know the physical side of it. But um, he he doesn't seem ready to come back, in my opinion. A little bit, what, another week off the, on the sideline, you reckon? Or At least, yep. Mm. What do you take of the match, Savvy? Yeah, I think we bounced back very convincingly after that Liverpool game. Uh, tactically, I think everything was spot on. The players playing wherever they were playing, they were all, were, all did their jobs uh, very convincingly. It was a good game. And on Sanchez, yeah, I think uh, the way I saw, I think he looked good. But yeah, as uh, Tony mentioned, he certainly looks heavy. I think uh, he will be uh, rested for the Europa League game and will be back starting against Chelsea. I hope so. He starts. Let's see. Tony, you um, you were at the at the stadium, mate. What's what was the reception like with Sanchez when he come on? Uh, there was there was a few a few boos. Um, where I was, I, I mean, I'm sit right behind the dugout. And it was over-exaggerated cheers. It was like the guy had just saved someone's mum's life or something, how loud people were cheering around there. Um, I, I mean, I heard a couple of boos, but not much. But then I spoke to my mate who sits uh, in the corner behind the goal we were sit- shooting in the second half. Um, and he said there was quite a lot of boos around him. So it depends where you were in the stadium. But, it, I mean, it was mainly cheering. There was muted boos, but then there was also over-the-top cheering as well. So I think there was a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, on the TV from where I was, it was I could hear a few little boos and, and lots of cheer, cheering, like you said. Um, who was your man of the match? You, you, I think you said Welbeck earlier in your podcast, didn't you? 
Yeah, I mean, he worked his nuts off. He got back as well as going forward. He scored two goals and got an assist out of the three. I think it's very hard to not give someone that performs like that a man the match. I don't think he really put a foot wrong. I can't remember anything glaringly obvious. Also, his hold-up play was a lot better than normal. Like There was a few times the ball got zipped into him and he actually took a touch and held it up rather than taking a touch and chasing it 20 yards. So um, I, I think you've pretty much got to give it to him. I don't think anyone was bad. I actually thought Hector had his best game in ages. Um, I thought I thought everyone was pretty good, but um, yeah, I thought Welbeck when you when you finish a game with two goals and assist out of three, you kind of have to get man in the match. Yeah, you got to got to get it by default. We ran a poll, and and the poll was I haven't got the stats on me at the moment, but it was Welbeck uh, well in front. Um, Carl, you agree? Yeah, Welbeck was he had he had a very good game against Bournemouth. Um, also, I'd highlight the performances of Ozil, Ramsey perhaps Xhaka, but in general, the whole team, you know, they played their roles. Even Mustafi looked a little bit more composed. He had a few clumsy clearances and stuff, but he seemed a lot more composed than what he was against, uh, you know, in, in the last match uh, against uh, Liverpool. Not even Liverpool, uh, Stoke, I mean. Yeah, yeah. He looked like he was enjoying, enjoying the football over here with the commentators were talking about... Um, you know, he wanted to go to Inter, and the commentator mentioned it a few times, and he said, oh, he wanted to go to Inter in the summer, and, and now, you know, Wenger's just got to say, well, suck it up, sunshine, you're not going. Um, you're here, so you do your best. But I watched him, and he looked like he was really enjoying his football. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, just to slightly interrupt on that, he played in the middle of the three, which I actually think suits him more. He wants to be a ball-playing centre-back, but in reality, he's a lot better at just... A strong challenge, head the ball as far as he can, kick it as far as he can, and there's no real expectations because his passing is not very good or it's too ambitious. So being in the middle of the three, actually, I think suits him better. I don't think it's where he wants to play, but mm. I think it hides a lot of his weaknesses where you're not expecting him to come out and slide the ball into midfield. When you're in the middle of the three, you're expected to just give it to one of the other two who are usually better footballers or get it wide to the wing backs. So I think being in the middle of the three actually suits him, whether... That's long term uh, remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Savvy Bellerin, he um, he definitely played better on the right right wing back than the left. What was your thoughts on yeah, Bellerin? Yeah, I think yeah, I think he had a great game. Uh, he was uh, brilliant going forward, and uh, uh, he was uh, supporting Koscielny too, uh, which he uh, we, which he didn't do in the last few games. I think he had a great game. Uh, the old Hector looks. Uh, he's back. So, yeah, it was great to see him playing well. Tony, you mentioned in your pod that Klozinac, uh, oh, uh, he was, um, yeah, I'll get that name by the end of the season. Uh, you mentioned he was looking <laughs> tired on the field. Um, I didn't see it on the TV, but what was it, about the 60th minute or something, was it? No, uh, just every time, I mean, probably from about the 60th, 70th minute, every time sort of he was off the ball, or the ball went dead. He was literally like hands on knees, like he was finding, trying to find a new way of getting oxygen into his body. Um, he's done it before. He's done it in pre-season. In, well, in one game in China, I think it was against Chelsea, he went off uh, after 40 minutes because he literally couldn't move anymore. Um, that can kind of be forgiven. It was a quick turnaround, the temperature, the humidity. Uh, and then the same in the Emirates Cup, the game we won five, whatever it was, Benfica, um, he came off after about 60 or 70 then, and he played really well, but again, he was knackered. Mm. Um, and it was similar. It was very similar um, yesterday. 
and said just every time he was actually on his haunches every time he was off the ball. It's, it's one of them things that it's never going to be in camera shot because he'd done it off the ball. It's not like the ball was coming to him and he was sort of on his hands and knees. Yeah. But it was a few times when we won set pieces um, and like literally as soon as the ball was dead, he was like standing there literally struggling. Um, but I think you can, I said it in my pod, I think you can half see that. Someone who's as quick as he is with the size he has. He's a big boy. He's very unlikely to be able to, to do that for 90 minutes. So, mm. Um, I mean, he was okay yesterday because he didn't get pushed too much. But you even see, in the last few minutes when they had their chances, they came down his side. Like uh, the, the when Czech made the quite good save at the end, it came from uh, first of all Kolasinac got to the ball and couldn't make proper contact with it because I think he was too tired. And then it came back out and I beat him one on one, and it was the only time he'd been beat one on one all game. And I think that's down to fitness. And mm-hmm. obviously with three 0 up, it didn't matter. But you put that at one all in the ninetieth minute against Chelsea, and it's Pedro or Hazard going at him, and it's a you suddenly it becomes a lot more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's... Um, and I think he's found... Look, that, that suits him, that position, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, he's a left wing-back. Or left-back or left-wing-back. Well, it, it does massively yeah. suit him. I think it's just the pace. There's there's not as much rest in the Premier League as there is elsewhere. So maybe in Germany, he could go up and down and he gets his rest when the ball's over the other side of the pitch or when the ball's off. But wherever the Premier League is, maybe the quality isn't as good, but it's much more frantic it seems like you're sort of always running. You're very rarely standing still. And I think that's what he's, he's not getting the recovery time he's used to. Mm-hmm. When, um, Carl, when Sanchez comes back, where does he, he type of slot in? Because Welbeck, he had a, he had a brilliant game. Um, yeah. I, I wouldn't know where to fit him in, uh, to answer that question. He, like the Coutinho situation, Liverpool, before they got shafted 5-0, um, I don't think he could find a place in the team at the moment. With Welbeck on form, you have to keep him in the team. Mm. Otherwise, he'll lose that form very quickly. So, uh, yeah, in response to that question, I don't think Sanchez can get in the team and, uh, until the likes of uh, Welbeck drop off. And, and I think the Wenger mentioned it in the press conference that you know he's, he's going to be giving Welbeck a, uh, a good chunk of time this season because um, he, he, he did praise him. You know, pretty well in the press conference. I, I don't know whether, obviously, because he he got man in the match, but um, yeah. So I think you know, Wenger is going to start Welbeck more often there than not. I, I suppose. What, what's your thoughts on it, Savvy? Yeah, I think uh, Welbeck doesn't deserve to be dropped right now because I think uh, yeah, we can fault his finishing, but uh, he he has already scored three goals and I think assisted uh, one or two more. So, I think he's in great form. Uh, right now, Sanchez, uh, he doesn't look uh, uh, match fit. So, yeah, definitely Welbeck starts ahead of Sanchez for me right now. You, Tony? Um, I mean, there's only one position he can play, which is where Welbeck started yesterday. I wouldn't be surprised that Chelsea, if if Sanchez is fit enough, being fit enough, I wouldn't be surprised if they put Welbeck up top and play Sanchez in where Welbeck's been playing in the same setup as the FA Cup final. And as the community shield, because you know Welbeck's going to do them running. He's going to push Cahill and David Luiz out wide, which they don't really want to do. Whereas Lacazette more looks to get on the ball more. So mm. he comes short and tries to play football, which he's good at. But um, Welbeck's a lot better at stretching the pitch. So if I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying I think this will happen, but it wouldn't at all surprise me if Lacazette is not in the team for Chelsea and Welbeck goes up top and Sanchez comes in in his normal position. Well, I didn't watch. I don't watch much French league. I'll be honest. 
Lacazette, he does drop back a lot. What do we know? Like, what's the? What is it? Is he tired? Is it? Is he looking for a breather or something? I, I noticed him drifting back a lot last night, and not a negative in his game by by any means. But I just did notice it, um, which I, I found it odd. Yeah, I mean, he likes to get on the ball. I think everyone likes to have touches of the ball. It's very hard to play up front, especially on your own, when you're when you're only having sort of 20 touches a half. It's like you get a touch every one or two minutes, and it's literally one touch. It's hard. So a lot of players like to come and fill the ball. Um, so he comes short and does that. And sometimes it works. I mean, we had a... The ref gave a free kick when we should have carried on playing, but he came short and linked up with Ramsey and Welbeck in some nice quick football. And I think it was Welbeck was taken out on the edge of the area and Lacazette was probably 20 yards out and was going to shoot and the ref blew up. Um, So, I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I would like to see him run channels more, um, especially with Sanchez and Ozil behind him, because in general, Ozil isn't going to run the channels and Sanchez, we know, likes to come to feet rather than run the channels. So someone's got to do it, which is, I think, why... Towards the back end of the season, Welbeck worked quite well up top because he was doing the running for Sanchez and Ozil. Mm-hmm. Or not the running, he was doing the, the ugly work that they didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Lacazette will have to adapt to do that because there's no point making Ozil do it. You want him on the ball, not running away from it in general. And Sanchez has always done that and he's never going to change. I think if one of them's going to change, Lacazette is more likely to be adaptable than Sanchez. Mm-hmm. So I think he will have to add that to his game because at the moment... I mean, you can't argue that he's clearly a better finisher than Welbeck, but Welbeck's adding more to the game because he's running the channels, he's stretching them for pace, he's holding the ball up, he wins balls in the air. Whereas at the moment, Lacazette just adds to what we're doing, we're already doing. Yep, yep. And I tweeted out in the game last night after Welbeck's first goal, he just looks ugly. Like that first goal, <laughs> I think it come off his. Oh, it looked like he come off his chin or something. I was, I, I, it just looks ugly. And then. The next goal was beautiful. I was like, wow, what? that was unreal. And, yeah, I don't know. He just, he's an ugly footballer, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he, just, he just is. Um, okay, uh, Coughlin, have we got an injury update, Tony? Uh, so there won't be a scan until tomorrow, usually, because uh, the players won't come in today. Um, they won't bring him in just to give him a scan, and usually they wait for the, the inflammation of the muscle to go down. Um, your muscle will automatically be inflamed if you play the game of football. So there will be a scan tomorrow. The news come. I mean, obviously there's been no... They would have assessed him after the game um, and said, we'll scan you on Monday. Uh, the news that's kind of half leaking is that it's not too bad, just a small hamstring tear, probably a couple of weeks, but they won't know the full extent until the scan. Uh, that news that's leaking could be rubbish. I've heard it all before. I've been at games before where it's been leaked. Oh, it's only going to be a couple of weeks and you end up with someone out for nine months. I've seen it happen before. So mm. I'll take that with a pinch of salt, but they, they don't think it's too serious. The fact that he walked off um, usually means it's not a really bad hamstring strain because if your hamstring goes completely or tears, rips completely, um, you usually can't even walk because you can't bend it. Um, so hopefully it's just a small, small tear, but we'll find out probably tomorrow um, or if Arsenal don't release it, it'll be on Wednesday in the press conference before the Europa League game. The uh, commentators were talking about it, that he'd ripped his shirt off and thrown it as if to say, that's me for the season. It's, it's surely, it's, it's not him for the season. He hasn't, it's not that bad injury, is it? No, I mean, it's, it's nowhere near that, or it doesn't look it. Doesn't look um, it no. I think it's just frustrating. He's a passionate guy. He came on for, I don't know if you could hear it on TV, when he came on, they made a big thing of it being his 100th game for us. 
um, on like the stadium announcer. Mm. Um, he, he had probably one of his best chance to score for us. It was a good block by Ake. He's just a passionate guy. He's finally got minutes on the pitch, first minutes of the season, pretty much. Mm. And um, and then he got he goes off within sort of ten fifteen minutes. So I think that's more. I think it was more frustration than knowing it was a really bad injury. As I said, I think if you're out for a year with a hamstring, you ain't walking off the pitch. Mm-hmm. What um, what do you make of that, Carl? The Coughlin. So, no, I, I, obviously, I hope that. Did you see it on the TV? Uh, yeah, I saw. Yeah. It, it was a, it was a weird one, to be honest. It uh, did look weird, didn't it? Like, yeah, he off. just looked like he just got shot out of the sky. Mm. The way he fell to the ground, um, but obviously I hope Coughlin isn't out too too long. It kind of, uh, yeah. I don't know about the midfield situation now. I don't know if we're we, we're obviously going to be left a little bit short now. But then, what if uh, this gives the opportunity for Wilshire to step in? I hope it does. A lot of people thought Wilshire was going to step in on on the weekend. He was at least going to make a bench spot, and it didn't happen. Um, yeah, that was probably my fault because I I heard that there was I heard that, I said it there was about seventy percent chance of him being in the squad. From what I heard, Arsenal didn't release it till uh, the squad till late Friday night to the players. Um, but the way it was in uh, the way Wenger was indicating was that Jack would be involved, especially being against his old club in a, some kind of way in, in Bournemouth. Uh, it basically I, I said this on Friday as well. The thought was that he would either get minutes uh, then or probably start on Thursday, depending on how strong Wenger wants to go. Mm. I'd be very surprised if he's not involved on Thursday. Um, but obviously, I have been wrong before. So. Hey, what about you, Sandy? Are you a Jack, you a Jack fan? Savvy? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm a Jack Wilshire fan, really. I love his passion and how he plays. Yeah, I, will be, I would really like him to be involved in the uh, Europa League game. And I would... Uh, would have loved to see Coquelin, but yeah, he's injured. So uh, I hope he gets well soon, and I hope we see Wiltshire on Thursday. And I, and the reason I said Sandy because I was actually looking at the run sheet. And I, that was my next question. <laughs> my, my next question was to uh, to mention uh, they're saying he's due to come back next next year. Tony, twenty eighteen, early twenty eighteen, or, or late. We don't know. Uh, so they've not registered him for the squad. So he's running already, um, but obviously he's probably got a fair bit of weight to shift because he's not the smallest of guys anyway. Um, but he's back running. Um, he'll probably be back kicking a ball usually in about a month. Um, and they've not registered him for the squad until Jan. Well, they can re-register in January, first um, of January. So he can't play until then. Even if he even if he miraculously became fit tomorrow, he can't play until January. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a case of, I think he will be ready before then, but they didn't want to waste a number like in, in the squad when he couldn't play. Like when they say knew he wasn't going to be available till December, you're wasting a number for two to three months. Yeah. Um, so he may be back before January in terms of fitness wise, but he can't play till till January regardless. Yeah. Okay. Um, Carl, did you see the uh, tra- oh, obviously everyone's seen that transfer window closing? Start of the season. What's your thoughts, Mike? I think it's a very good thing for the Premier League. I think the whole uh, the whole transfer saga surrounding Alexis Sanchez to Manchester City created unnecessary um, uncertainty around the last few days. But this will only be a good thing for the Premier League 
if the other four top um, European leagues follow suit, to be honest. Mm. If, if they... Because at the same time as us closing it early, it might be beneficial to the teams in the Premier League because uh, we know the players we're coming into, coming into face. The fact that, um, you know, maybe teams in the Spanish League or the French League can still uh, acquire our players is a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a downside to it all. To it's, a, it's a real negative, and that's that's exactly what, what my worry is. If you've got a Sanchez, you know, the, the Premier League deadline's closed. Um, however, you know, Sanchez, PSG can come in. And who do we replace him with? We can't buy anybody. What's your thoughts, Savvy? Yeah, I think it's a good move uh, because uh, uh, the players get distracted because uh, of the speculation. Like we see uh, last game, Liverpool game, we saw Ox and I think Alexis whole summer that saga went on. So I think it's a good move and I think other, other leagues will follow it. Then only it's uh, going to make sense. Otherwise, uh, yeah, there will be more spe- speculation, as you uh, mentioned. Like, if someone comes in and we can't replace him. But yeah, I think uh, the clubs will be in stronger position too because then they can say we, we can't buy a replacement and we are not selling. Yeah, that look, I, another way. Yeah, I'm in favour for it, but I do see the, the negatives in it. Um, what about you, Tony? Uh, so I mean, you both—I mean, you've all pretty much covered what I think about um, it. I think it's a good idea as long as the other leagues follow suit. The only thing, other thing I would add is I think it's a terrible, terrible year to do it um, because being World Cup here, I've just—I've just checked uh, the World Cup final is July fifteenth. Um, the transfer window would close on the eighth or ninth of August. Um, mm. Usually, players have a month off in the summer minimum. Uh, so if a player gets to the World Cup final, the club will give them a month off. Uh, the, the transfer window closing three weeks after the World Cup final means the players aren't going to be back. They're still going to be on holiday. So if you're going to sign someone from that bracket that had been in the World Cup final or, or deep into the World Cup semi-final, uh, third, fourth place, yep. they're, they're going to be in Vegas or, mm. or wherever. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, you can't expect them to be in shape. I mean, it's, it's known that some players will add a, a sort of a stone over that holiday uh, towards the start of the holiday and they'll They'll start doing their own pre-season before they come back to mm. get into shape. But if you're if you're interrupting their mid-holiday, uh, like I think I just think it's an awful year to do it for the first time. Um, mm. Because I've said a lot of players will be like, I'm on holiday, leave me alone. I don't want to fly to wherever to do a medical. It's gonna. Anyway, it's, I'm not even capable of doing medical. I was I was out last night till five a.m. Now you want me to do a thing? A well, medical, it's going to disrupt the, the World Cup a little bit too, isn't it? Because. They're all going to be running around looking to sign players around that time. Well, that's the other thing. You can't. I mean, it's up to the countries, but most players won't. Most countries won't release players. Like they'll release them. Like this international duty. Even France said they wouldn't release players until after the game for medicals, mm. and that was a that was a, a qualifier. So you can imagine if it's a World Cup semi final and you ring in uh, Germany manager, France manager, ever, and saying, "Oh, we need to, we need to have a medical with whoever," they'll say, "Oh, wait till the end of the tournament because it's not." And said it's not one-off games like the qualifiers. They're these are big. It's a big unit. I think once they go away for the for the tournament, that'll be it. There'll be no medicals or, or anything. They'll be they won't be allowed out for contract talks. Their agent can obviously do it on their behalf. But I'd be very surprised if any players are allowed to leave a camp once they depart for Russia, which will probably be a week before the tournament. Um, so and that and the tournament's a month. So you're losing five weeks of a twelve-week window. And then, as I said, there's the three weeks that they're 
there's three weeks after, but they're going to be away for that month. So you're then interrupting holiday. So in reality, you're looking at instead of a 12 week window, it's more like a three or four and they're, they're the first three or four. Mm-hmm. And can they, can you do, can they do medicals like at the world cup in Russia or? Uh, they can do. So when we signed Ozil, he never actually done a medical with us because he was on international duty and he wouldn't make it in time. So Arsenal rang Bayern Munich and asked them to do the medical for us. Right. Okay. Uh, so you can you can either fly out yourself, like as in our medical team could fly out, or they could ask the whatever national team's medical people to do it. But it's just a case of most teams won't release. Uh, they'll say no, not during a tournament. Like we're fully focused on winning the World Cup. Mm. We don't particularly care that you want to sign X such and such a player. It's he's, he's our player at the moment, and and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. Look. Then that may may favour some clubs, um, but depends. It goes back to say, you got you got your clubs, you know, Germany and whatnot, France. Who, if they're deep into that World Cup, they're not going to be releasing players to muck around. They want they want the World Cup. So it's fully, they want their players fully focused on what on the job. As I said, so I'd be once they fly out to Russia, I would doubt any major country will release a player um, for talks once they're once they're in Russia. I'd be mm. very, very surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings me to Wenger's comments, Carl. He, he actually, and to me it's not a bad idea. He, he said, do we need a January window? I, I agree with Wenger there, to be honest. I, I think that, yeah, you're, you're, it's, just, it's the same idea as uh, having the transfer window run on for the first two or three games of the season. The fact that you're disrupting a team's, uh, you know, the whole setup layout of the team. If you've got a main stalwart in the team like Sanchez, for example, and in January, uh, Touchwood, he doesn't go to Man City, um, then that's going to disrupt the team. Because let's say that he was against Man City in November and he played... Bl- he played a blinder and we were like, Oh, we can't replace Sanchez. And then he goes in January. Like what, what are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. No, it, it does. My, and it brings me to, to me next question with you, Savvy. Do we have a, a one week loan type window in January or, or do we have no, no window at all? I think, uh, uh, if the no window at all is looks good because, uh, if you are going to scrap the window, then scrap it whole together or just open it. That's my opinion. Mm. Tony? Um, well, first of all, they won't. It's not going to be scrapped, regardless of what people say, or not in a, not in a very long time, because it's taken long enough to change this window, and that's only one league's agreed to it, not not UEFA or FIFA. Um, but my opinion, um, and it's probably a bit out there, is I would have an independent body, part of the FA. Um, and you'd only be allowed to make emergency signings. I think there's got to be some case for for signings to be made because, you know what I mean, you could be struck down by masses of injuries all in the same position. Like when we signed Kim Kallstrom, I know he was injured, but we'd lost about four midfielders in the space of three weeks. Mm. So I think that otherwise you end up with what we don't want with teams stockpiling players that never get to play, and then people will go, oh, but the national game's suffering. But the league will have brought that on if you can't add during the season. You're just going to keep players who are there just in case. So I think there should be... I don't know exactly how to word it, like an FA panel who you can go to and say, look, we're in crisis and only for a month in ja- during what would be the January window, we say, look, we're in crisis in this position. 
uh, we need to make emergency sign-in and they can then allow that but under specific terms so it has to be a player in this in that position you can't say oh all our keepers are injured we're going to go and sign Alexis Sanchez Mm. Um, well that's where I said it would never happen it would never happen but it's what I would like to see I think it makes sense Um, as I said otherwise you just end up with teams stockpiling players like Chelsea have got 40 players or something out on loan but if that rule came in where you couldn't add to your squad they would just keep them all and you'd end up with all these young promising players that never play a minute of football because Mm -hmm. they're there just in case Chelsea get two or three injuries and Um, and that's why I say but you know a two maybe a two one week two week window just for players to go on loan and come to your club on loan would that work I think the problem with loans is that especially mid-season you're only like Chelsea may be able to loan a championship player but that's not I'm not I'm not picking on Chelsea just anyone that Arsenal might be able to get a championship player but it's not really going to do you any favours I think you should allowed to be allowed to use your money because mm. you've, you've made that money it's your money I don't think they can tell you I don't think they should be allowed to tell you how to spend your money yeah, but, um, I just think they sh- they should be allowed to, as I said, to try and make it to stop all speculation of, of team players. It happened to to Charlton a few years ago. Scott Parker got a man in a match against Chelsea, and they signed him three days later. And I don't think they particularly wanted him, mm-hmm. but it was just to stop stop them doing anything. Um, this was before Chelsea were well. Most Chelsea fans knew who Chelsea were. Um, but yeah, I think something needs to be done. Um, I don't think anything will be. But yeah, as I said, my idea would be an emergency sort of system. They have an emergency system in the Football League uh, for loans, but it's a lot easier to loan players in the Football League because if you're in the Championship, if you're in the, the, the bottom, uh, not the Championship, sorry, League Two, you've got three divisions above you that you can loan from. Whereas if you're in the, if you're in the Premier League and you need to loan someone, in reality, another Premier League club ain't going to loan you a player. No. Um, and then you're looking at someone that isn't starting in the championship, so they're probably League One level. And mm. it's like, well, that ain't going to do anyone any favours. Um, agents so. wouldn't be a fan of it either. No, agents hate loan deals, <laughs> is it? Well, they wouldn't be a fan of, of the window closing altogether in January, would they? No, if it was up to them, they'd have it open 365. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, and, and on the loan in January, uh, on the transfer window, the one thing I'd do think that it does benefit is the youth, um, you know, you, because you've got that that squad for the whole team for the whole season, and then you know if you get that injury come December or something, well then you've got your Reese Nelsons or your youth players coming up. But, hey, you got no choice; you got to use them. So uh, whether it whether it brings them on quicker or not, I don't know. It might might well, I think, do I think good. like the problem is with it. Say like Arsenal. I use Chelsea as an example, but it's a better one to use Arsenal as it's an Arsenal podcast. Like Cohen Bramwell's gone out on loan. Uh, there's like loads of youth players. I know we sold John Terrell. Stefan Mavidi's gone to um, what's it Preston. There's, there's quite a lot of youth players out on loan who never would have gone out on loan if they knew we couldn't bring players in. Mm. Um, so then, as I said, you end up with them players that when they do get into the first team, they've, end, they've never played a minute of adult professional football. They've played in the under-23s and the Bs and the youths and the reserves, but they've never played a game of first-team football in their life, which doesn't benefit anyone. Even Wilshire, we knew how good he was when he was 16. He still went out on loan um, to give him minutes, to get him used to playing football. He went to Bolton. Um, and if, you, if the players never get their minutes, it's gonna, unless the, the exceptional talents don't need the minutes. Um, they can just pick up the level like uh, duck to water. But even, like, say, Deli Ali is probably the brightest young talent in the league, or one of, if we're honest. I don't like the guy. but And he had minutes in League One. It wasn't alone. He was already there. But he had professional minutes before he came to the Premier League. 
So I think if you kind of stop that from happening, it stops the development of a hell of a lot of players. And it, I mean, I don't really particularly care for national football, but it would absolutely ruin international football. International football? Yeah, because I, I mean, Harry Kane's had, had minutes in the lower league on various loans from Tottenham. As I said, looking at us, Jack had a loan. Looking back, Carlos Vela, I know he didn't turn out to be amazing, but he had loans. Uh, Joel Campbell's out of four million loans. Mm. A lot of young players go on loan to get their initial first team minutes. And um, I think mm. yeah, okay. I think you, you end up stockpiling a squad to, to just in case. Then you lose out on a lot of players that, that um, would have got minutes otherwise. Yeah, it would definitely change the, uh, change the league. You know, like you'd have your like, city on top of the ladder and come... December they get a few injuries and they've got no choice to throw the youth in um, then all of a sudden they can drop back and you know it gives other other teams a bit of a chance I suppose but, yeah, but on the flip side you've got teams that have maybe only got 23 players in their squad they get five injuries and suddenly they haven't got a bench or they're playing someone nothing. than that yeah yeah no it's interesting Wenger also come out and he said the financial fair play rules basically should be scrapped as well because nobody's respecting them. What, what's your thoughts there? I 100% agree with Wenger there, that, to be honest. He said that it should be enforced, and then when it was enforced, it wasn't enforced. And that doesn't make sense. So you've got you've got teams like PSG that sh- like should surely be under that FFP radar Considering the amount of money they play, for, they pay for players nowadays, mm. and yet when they sign Neymar for whatever it was, two hundred million, mm. like it, it goes unscathed. The only, the only, uh, what's it, uh, governing body that went after them was the La Liga. Yeah, but uh, yeah, two hundred million on Neymar. They got um, um, who is it? Mappy online. Mbappe. Mbappe. Um, then 165 yeah. million to keep him permanent in 2018. So surely they've got to come under some some financial rules. What's your thoughts on that, Sevi? Yeah, I think uh, clubs like uh, Paris Saint Germain and Manchester City. I think they don't uh, actually think anything about financial fair play because if you look at uh, Manchester City uh, since 2008, they have spent I think over a billion, and uh, that. Uh, that they don't they don't win that much money and Paris Saint Germain as you can see to 200 million for Neymar and uh, 160 odd million for Mbappe I think uh, they are making it a joke and I don't know uh, no one uh, actually knows what financial fair play is about and there are no rules and there uh, and they are not taking actions against the club so uh, obviously it makes sense to scrap it. We're never going to come under these financial fair rules. Tony? Yeah, never. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really wouldn't bother us at all what they do with the bloody things. But uh, what's your thoughts on it, Tony? Uh, neither of City or PSG are breaking the financial fair play rules. That's the problem. Um, people say, I know you're saying about the Mbappe transfer, which is why they've delayed it for a year to try and so that the fee actually goes next summer. Um, and also, they don't look into it. It's not like they bid for Neymar and they look in their current accounts. They look in the money they've brought in in the next year. So it can't be investigated straight away uh, because it's based on the year's accounts. Um, The reason they're not breaking it, and it's a loophole, but every rule's there to be broken, is um, 
So financial fair play is you're only allowed to spend a certain percentage of, of your income. And Savvy correctly, in a way, said that City and PSG don't make that. But they do because their owners just like it's like City, the Etihad Stadium. So we probably got how say we got 100 million for the sponsorship calling it Emirates. If he wants to spend 500 million on players, he just says, oh, yeah, we're calling it the Etihad and we're charging them 500 million. In reality, all he's doing is switching money from one bank account to the other. He's switching it from his Etihad bank account to his Man City bank account. But in terms of financial fair play, City have received that money. I mean, to exaggerate a point, it's like the PSG owner going into a shop and spending 200 million on shirts and saying, oh, look, we made 200 million. Let's go buy Neymar. Um, They're bending the rules massively. And that's what's being looked into. It's not that they're breaking financial fair play because they're not. Um, The Neymar deal has been structured really weird. Um, Qatar, who obviously own PSG, um, paid the deal. And he's he's technically an ambassador for the World Cup there. And he's been paid 200 million for that. And himself to PSG. Mm. Um, So, in essence, the way they've bent the rules, PSG actually haven't spent a penny on Neymar. Uh, Yeah, it's like uh, Neymar has paid paid for his uh, transfer. Yeah, because the the way a buyout clause works in Spain is a club can't activate a buyout clause. Like, so say his buyout clause was 200 million. PSG can't say here's 200 million. He's now available in Spain. The player has to activate their own clause. So essentially, PSG give him 200 million, and he goes to La Liga and says, "Here's 200 million. I no longer. I'm now free. I'm a free man." Yeah, right. Okay. I didn't know that that's how that worked. Right. It's different. Uh, I think Spain. Well, from the top of my head, Spain's the only country to do that. In England, it's different. In England, um, you have the contract. Um, and the club has to accept a bid that gets that amount, but you deal with the club, not the player. Spain, where um, a release clause in Spain, I'm not sure if they've changed it, but a couple of years ago it was mandatory. You had to have one. Mm. Um, it's set, I mean, loads of clubs started just setting them at a billion pounds just to, because it had to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in Spain it's mandatory, and that's how the system works. In England it's not. It's a choice. It's up to the club, like when the club negotiates the contract. But you deal with the club. So when we uh, match Vardy's release clause, we said we went to Leicester and said, here's 20 million. And they had to accept by the terms of their contract with Vardy. That's 20 million for Vardy. Um, <laughs> just on, and on that, Tony, I was reading something in France. I think that's similar too. They, they don't have buyout clauses or something, is it, over there? Uh, they have not strictly they don't they have various ways around it which essentially are buyout clauses but yeah by by the laws of what's their league called um, um, league one but whatever they're, one, not, yeah. they're FA over oh, their FA I can't remember what their FA are called but by their terms there's no release clauses but there is okay. um, mm. even if it's a verbal like the same as say Riyad Mahrez he had a verbal agreement with the owners of Leicester he, te- he didn't have a clause but his agreement was if this amount comes in from such and such a club, then um, then you accept. So in France, they do stuff like that. There is a few. There's a few ways around it, but yeah, by the terms of the French league, there's not. Um, they're not allowed release clauses in their contracts. Yeah. Okay. Um, Carl, just uh, I've seen um, Pep come out and said that there was no chance Manchester City. Would have used Sterling as part of any deal for to sign Alexis Sanchez. What's your thoughts on that? Do we actually care what he says? I would have wanted him to, to be honest. Yeah? He should have used him, yeah. 
Sanchez didn't want to be here. I wanted Sterling to be honest. I thought he could become a good player for us. He's got that sort. He's he's got that pacey, skillful archetype that we could have used to our to our advantage. I think I think Pep Guardiola, you know, he he could have he could have afforded to let him go. He's not really a first team starter all the time. So. Hmm. What about you, Savvy? You, would you like Sterling? Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh... I think uh, Arsenal wanted him, and uh, but even uh, what I think, I think City, uh, uh, Pep is just changing his words. They also wanted to sell, and they are saying it because the deal didn't go through. And I would have taken Sterling because I think he's a good player, and Sanchez obviously wanted to leave, so we could have used him, and uh, he would be a starter over here. I, um, you, Tony, you had Mares, didn't you, pin for? Um... Who you wanted to come in? Um, would you have taken Sterling? I would have done. Just even I know we shouldn't think about a business sense as fans, but purely for a business sense, you're swapping a player who doesn't want to be there and is going for free in twelve months for a player that you'll sign on a five-year contract and has a value for at least four of them. Mm. So even as a bit, he's clearly not as good a player as Sanchez, but he's a lot younger. I think he would. It would have made us able to go back to four-two-three-one again because I still maintain I don't think we can do it with the players we've got because the only player that can play on the right is Theo Walcott. So unless you're going to start him every week, and it is literally every week, we I mean, look, Welbeck can go over there, but it's not his position. Like, Walcott is the only right winger we have in the entire squad. Mm. So I think if you bring in Sterling, um, you lose, yeah, obviously we would have lost Sanchez, but you've got other players that can play on the left. They can do a job there. Welbeck's a lot better on the left than he is on the right. We've got a few players that could stay on the left. Um, Lacazette sometimes goes wide on the left but none of them go right so I think with Sterling it would have enabled us to play a few different formations um, you got to remember he's only 23 as well as he's got a long career ahead of him um, and Arsenal are very good at um, getting their wide players one-on-one with full-backs because teams know we're not usually very good at crossing the ball they um, cover the middle of the pitch and leave full-backs kind of isolated and Raheem Sterling's very good one-on-one um, so I think it probably would have half suited him as well. Um, his agent would have been an issue. Um, but as Guardiola is telling the truth, Arsenal asked for it and he said no. So that, that's where it starts and ends, really. That's where it stopped and ended. And I, I question, do we actually know Sanchez wasn't happy? Like I, heard, I see lots of media reports. Um, then we've seen the deadline deal type of, I don't know what happened at the end. Um, Sanchez never, from what I understand, he never put in a transfer request like Van Dyke and um, others. He wasn't sitting at the airport like Mares, and he wasn't sitting out front of Chelsea gates like bloody Drinkwater. What did he? Did he actually want to go, or what was a lot of media speculation? Uh, I mean, I, I know he wanted to go. Whether people choose to believe who have told me is a different story. But he wanted to go. He wanted to go. Okay. Okay, um, where are we at to Thursday night football? Europa League, first round. Uh, Carl, what's your thoughts, mate? Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it's new it could territory, be a good experience mate. for us. Yeah, yeah. I think it could be a good experience for us. It could also be a learning curve. If we go in on Thursday being complacent then we're going to fail even in the group stage we need to come at Cologne like they're going to be a very hard 
very hard challenge, very difficult challenge. Um, if we do that and we play the types of players like Wilshire and that, we keep a few experienced first-team players in there combined with a few fringe players and I think we'll get the win. That was my next question. What's the team look like? Definitely Wilshire. Um, I'd like to put him next to El Nini, see how that works out. Um, oh, I forgot about I don't know about Welbeck or Lacazette. Uh, I'd definitely play Giroud because then we could put him on subs bench against Chelsea, sub him off maybe 60th, 65th minute. So he's still relatively match fit. Mm. Uh, in terms of the defence, keep it the same. Maybe uh, give a chance to Chambers in that in that centre back role. And Does, yeah, he tested El Nenny in in the centre back in preview in the um, pre games. Do we? Does he drop him? Is that what the plan is? You think? For I mean, he's games? amazing in centre back, isn't he? He's amazing in centre back. Of course, you can sense the sarcasm. But, um... <laughs> I wasn't sure whether you're serious then. <laughs> oh, shit, he's, is he for real or what? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, yeah, look, and that's what I, that's what I wonder, because he, he, he tested him there and seemed to just, I'm going to continue testing him there and, uh, as if I'm going to play him there in these cup games. So, and I, I hope not. Um, Savvy, are we taking this serious? Yeah, I think we should be taking it seriously because uh, there is a lot of chance that uh, we won't be getting top four with this squad, and especially if some uh, some of the major players get injured. So I think we should be targeting Europa League and uh, targeting the uh, Champions League co- qualification through that. And I would like some rotation because I think we have many players in the squad. Theo should start and Jiru, he deserves to start. It will be, there are many players, Wilshire, Elneny, Holding, Chambers, many there, I think. And Nelson should get a chance. So, yeah, it would be good good to see Europa. Hmm. What about you, Tony? What's your team look like? And uh, are we taking the Europa League serious, mate? Um, I think, in general, he'll take it, he'll play, he'll rotate and he'll play what I would call the fringe players, who are still, like, good first-team players. Like, I mean, Walcott. And then he had the lot you've all just mentioned, I think, in general. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes strong in the first game on Thursday just to get off to a good start. It wouldn't surprise me. But I think people like Jack, I think Nelson will play. I think Jack will play. As I said, Theo Mertesacker will play. Ospina will play. Um, Chambers, I'm not sure if he'll be fit. He only started training again on Thursday. But it was just right, I mean, he wasn't with the rest of the squad. He was just trying to get his fitness back up. Mm-hmm. So I think this Thursday may be a bit short for him to come in. But Holden will play Mertesacker. I'm not sure he's going to play at wing-back. I think Ainsley Maitland will play at right-back, right-wing-back, sorry. Um, Left-wing-back, I'm not sure, because they've both had a lot of minutes, um, both Kolasinac and Monreal, and we ain't got anyone else. Um, so that'll be interesting. He could even play, he could play Nelson there, potentially. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't advise it, but it's doable. Um, yeah, then it'll be the likes of Jack Elneny, Iwobi, Walcott, Giroud, and it should be good enough to beat a team like Colm. But, I mean, they've come in the top six in Germany, so they're no mugs. I think people, just because it's a lesser competition, think we're playing against Farmers, um, which is not the case. Yes, we should beat a team like Colm with the, the, the players that we've all just listed, but it's not a case of like when people go, oh, I'll play the under-18s, they'll win. It's like, like this team have came sixth in the Bundesliga or in the top six. They're not a joke. Mm. Well, they got, they, got pumped. they got pumped by um, 3-0, just looking at it now, and they're coming 18th 
in the Bundesliga at the moment. But uh, that's what they have a couple of, couple of games in. They could have had a couple of bad yeah, runs we were too. Six, so. We were six deep until yesterday, weren't we? That, that's what I mean. Yeah, they could have <laughs> just been like us and had a couple of bad runs. Um, I haven't seen much of them, so... Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying they're good. I've, I've not seen. I've not seen really anything from them. But I'm saying a team that come in the in the top ten, even in the Bundesliga, are not going to be a, a joke of a team. They're not gonna, like people are acting like we're playing a League One side. If people are talking about it, like I'm talking about the Doncaster game in the Carling Cup in a few weeks or Carabao Cup, whatever it's called now, mm. and any team in the Bundesliga is not going to be. I mean, obviously they're 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 a Premier League level side at an absolute minimum. Mm-hmm. So. You wouldn't go to like no one suggested. Ah, oh, yesterday we're playing Bournemouth. Let's play our our youth team, and it would be good enough to win because we're not that stupid. But suddenly, because we're in a lesser competition than we used to be in, suddenly they think everyone's a part-time footballer. And after the game, they'll come and build a wall at your house if you need them to. It's like, yeah. No, they're professional footballers that play in the top league in Germany, like and done very well last year. Yeah, and it's look, it's a comp that I'm looking forward to. Europa League, yeah, it's it's uncharted territory. We've never been there before, but. Look, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Savvy, you mentioned we're not a top four team. I have to disagree. From yeah. you know, I, I, I think we've got a, a chance of a top four team. I may be biased that I think we're a better team than Tottenham at the moment, but um, that's just you know my opinion. What, what do you reckon, Carl? Oh, I do. I don't know if you can say we're better than Tottenham right now. My uh, my heart is saying that we are, but my head is saying that we're not. Mm. Um, we're we're not in the best of forms. We can't just say that beating uh, lackluster Bournemouth team is us picking up form again. I still think we've got a lot of problems. I don't know if we can say that we were better than Tottenham. Tottenham maybe are picking up form now. Now Harry Kane has finally realised he can score because it's September, not August. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's a long way to go before I could, we can say that Arsenal are doing better than Tottenham. Uh, at this moment in time, I think. Yeah, I just think we've, we, you know, we're well back coming. Um, he's fine. He's got some form. I think Ozil, you know, Shaka, Bellerin. I, let's just hope the form continues with him, um, because as, as a lot of you said, he, you know, he had his best game this week. Um, look, I think we've got a pretty good squad, and Lacazette up up front. Well, he's he knows how to score goals, doesn't he? He's no dummy there. Yeah. Mene's red card. What was your thoughts, Tony? Uh, for me, it is a very, very unfortunate, but definitely a red card. Uh, he has to go for the ball. The keeper has to go for the ball. Um, it's just one of them things. If he pulls out of that, like I've seen it a million times at the Emirates, where, say, Walcott, just to pick on someone, has pulled out of a challenge like that, and everyone's gone ballistic, wanting him subbed off, wanting him hung, wanting him sacked. And, like... You've got to go for that ball. I think Mane done the right thing. I, I, like, it's one of them. It was a red card, but you can't really blame him. He done everything right. Um, he done everything that he should do. It was just it was slightly mistimed because the keeper beat him to the ball. Um, I just, as I said, I think it is a red. I can see sympathy. I can see a lot of sympathy, but he's kicked the guy in the chin. Mm. <laughs> There's no. You, you can't lift your legs up like that and expect not to get a red card. For me, yeah, it's a red player. every day. Oh. Yeah, I mean, as I, said, I can I can half understand the arguments um, saying it's not because he did have to go in for that challenge, but it's just one of them things where you you know full well if you go in like that and don't win the ball, you're in trouble, and he didn't win the ball. Mm. Jurgen Glock, Carly will never come out and say yeah it was a red card. You could see him carrying on the sideline like a raw prawn. Um, what was your thoughts on it, Mike? 
Uh, yeah, very, very, very much along the same lines as Tony here. Um, Mane, he had to go in for that challenge. Very unfortunate of where his he connected with Edison. But uh, at the end of the day, you've always got to be tentative around the uh, 50-50 challenges, especially when it's between an attacker and a goalkeeper. Because, uh, you know, goal, goalkeepers with injuries, is it, I don't know if you can say they happen a lot more frequently if they're in those sort of challenges than versus a defender, for example. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a red card, especially where it hit him on, yeah, it's in that head area. And obviously, we're all, we're all about, oh, there's concussions and stuff. Maybe it's not a concussion in that sense, but even being towards that area, you've got to be going for a red card. Mm-hmm. What about you, Savvy? Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, it was unlucky because uh, if he gets to the ball, he touches the ball and keeper brings him down, then it's a red card for uh, for the keeper. So it's a 50-50 challenge. But yeah, uh, because his foot was so high and uh, it was on the face, studs up on the face, so definitely a red card. Keep, uh, the referee had no choice. He had to give it. For me, I was watching. I watched a bit of the game up until about the oh, 80th minute, and then I thought, oh, this is this is gone. Um, by that stage, it's about four nil. Uh, Liverpool were in the game, Tony. They they were looking good until he went off, weren't they? Like I think it was one nil or something when he went off, and I thought, you know, they they got a really good attack, Liverpool. Yeah, it was one nil. It was very open. Um, I mean, an open game I think was always going to suit City better, but Liverpool definitely had their chances. Both teams were defending really high, which seems moronic when you look at the pace on both teams. Um, but. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I think City would have won it anyway just because of how open it was. But, yeah, they had their chances. I mean, Salah had a very good chance. He, he puts that in one all, still 11, um, 11 aside, and it's a completely different game. Goals change games. But, um, yeah, they, I mean, it's not like they were completely outclassed with, with, um, with 11 men. But I think what they did do is give a prime example of how not to play football with 10 men on the pitch. Um, yeah. I mean, there's ways, I mean, uh, just to use an Arsenal example... I know Everton ain't as good as City, but the last game of last season, we went down to 10 men in about the same stage of the game. Granted, we were 1-0 up, not 1-0 down, but we we end up winning 2-1 when we won the game 3-1. But So with 10 men, we still won the game 2-1. Um, and there's ways to play with 10 men, and I think Liverpool gave the exact example of how not to play with 10 men. The problem with um, look, Salah, and I've watched him plenty of times uh, following Roma as well, and he, he can tear down that wing and he's got the pace and speed. But his biggest problem is he just cannot finish or cross that ball. Um, whether Klopp takes it, it you know, teaches him that, I don't know. But it's almost like he overruns. He, he goes right to the, right to the um, you know, he just goes that one too far before crossing. And, he, and he's... I think... Yeah. yeah. I think he has a lot of the same problems as Walcott had when, or I would say when Walcott was younger, but he still has them. I think when you're moving at that speed, you're not really in control of what you're doing. You have to slow down a bit to um, to be in full control. And I don't, I think Mane, uh, not Mane, sorry, Salah doesn't do that. I think he, he breaks free at full speed and he is very quick, but he doesn't take that half a second to slow down and make your decision and do what you're doing. He runs full pelt and then... He hasn't got any options because when you're running that speed, you can't change your body shape to whip the ball in or, or drive no. across it. Yeah. You've literally got, got so how you're standing at that time is, is how your body is. Like even Henri, I know he's electric quick, but he, he says it himself. He always used to freeze the keeper, which mm. means get the keeper to stop, slow them down, and he could adjust his body shape because he's taken that speed off. Whereas if he was 
sprinting fully through, you can't change your body shape. Mm-hmm. And he, do, he does it a fair bit. But look, it's something that'll come out of his game. Um, Carl, what was your game of the week, mate? What have you... Or, well, there's still a couple of games on in there. Um, what have you watched so far? Um, I only watched the Arsenal and the Man City game. One, one comment I actually want to make um, in general about this season is the fact that you know the top teams haven't really got that good uh, defences. That's, that's what I think. Watching, obviously, Liverpool, they've got a fantastic attack. They've got a reasonable midfield, but their defence is just shoddy. Uh, Alexander-Arnold, for example, looks so far out of his depth against the likes of Aguero and Jesus and players like that, and especially De Bruyne, where he, where he sent him. But uh, before that first goal, I think it was where he crossed it in. Second. But, um, second, yeah. Sorry. Um, but also, in terms of uh, Man City, the how the way uh, Otamendi was playing, he was kind of jeopardising the way... Um, he was he was jeopardising the defence, the security of the defence. He was playing higher than the rest of the line that he was with. And uh, I just think in general, like, the defence is... If you went into the Champions League, for example, a semi-final against Real Madrid, you get rinsed. Because your def- defence wouldn't be good enough, for example, with Man City and mm. Liverpool. What, what, what is it, you think? Like, what, what, why is, is this the problem? I, I, it's it's really hard question. I don't, I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it to be honest. It's just, um, it's it's weird. They last season, like for example, Chelsea were known for their defence. They were they were rock solid at the back, but even them this season, they've been a bit like being a bit rocky. For example, um, at Burnley, the first game of the season where they lost three two, where they, they weren't even at Burnley. I think they were at the. At, I think they're at Stamford Bridge, but um, still, they they looked very uh, they looked very unstable at the back, and it's just a problem with all the top teams. I don't know why. You have a look at Chelsea, the way Conte gets that that team defending, and and I don't know what it is either. But there's something about Italian managers and Italian football defence. I don't know what it is, or or I don't know. You got lads might disagree, but for me, he just. I, I watch Chelsea's defence, and it's not it's not solid there at the moment. But I do agree with you, uh, Liverpool, Arsenal, and I'm I'm not sure what this what this all of a sudden three at the back is all about. I it type of coming last season, didn't it? Um, and it was based on uh, Chelsea were first to do it, weren't they? Can't uh, they with the three at the back last season? Yeah, and then Wenger changed to three at the back in the back end of the season. And, I don't know um, what it really allows, but they all seem to, you know, it seems to be the new thing. What's your thoughts, uh, Savvy, on, uh, just on, as we're recording this podcast, I just see the results of the Burnley-Crystal Palace game. Burnley gets yeah. up 1-0. Um, is this the end of Frank De Boer already? Yeah, I think it could be because Steve Parrish is under pressure and... Uh, Actually, I saw the game. Uh, Crystal Palace were very good. They had 23 chances and I think Burnley had two or three chances. They got the goal and Crystal Palace just couldn't finish. I think uh, towards the end, uh, Scott Dan missed a sitter, which he should have scored. And mm. uh, I think uh, it, it wasn't Debo's mistake if you look at look today's game. But yeah, overall, Steve Parrish is under pressure, so he needs to sack him. And yeah, I saw uh, Stoke versus Manchester United. 
the point Carl was mentioning that defenses are in solid. Uh, same I saw in that game. I think uh, in the first three games, Manchester United uh, looked good. But uh, uh, in the last game, their defense was shaky. Uh, Bailey, who, who is probably the best defender, I think he was in all sorts of problems. And so, yeah, and Stoke, uh, Stoke would have won that game because I think uh, that Lukaku offside towards the end, uh, any other ref could have given that. But, yeah, so it was it was also a good game to watch. Tony, I had a, I had a conversation with a mate of mine today about teams going to Stoke, and I said, you know, Stoke's almost like a bit of a fortress. What is it about Stoke? And I said, it, I said it's... From what I hear, it's a cold, miserable place. Um, it, what is it about Stoke, mate? Like? <laughs> it is the coldest place on earth. Um, if hell's too hot to live in, Stoke is too cold to live in. Um, it's very windy. Their fans are very good. They're very hostile. Like You go to games where, I don't know, say, I mean, people say Anfield's loud. I think the atmosphere is overrated, but it's loud. It's not hostile. Stoke, you actually feel like they hate you, um, and it does have a. It rubs off on the players and it, their players, and it has. I think it does have an effect. It makes people rush where they wouldn't usually rush. Um, it's quite a tight ground. The wind's horrible. But, well, I mean, they've just filled one of them in, but the corners used to be open, so the wind swirls around. It's like, and it's on top of a hill as well, mm-hmm. so the wind comes in and can't get out. So it's, it's freezing in there because of that, but also it makes the ball do strange things because it's like. The wind's just it's like a mini tornado. Um, it is just a hard, horrible place to go. Well, there you go. That's coming from somebody who actually goes there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we've got a couple of questions. Have you, anyone else got anything to add on any of that? No? No, no. Um, I've just looked going through our Twitter. We did ask our followers. There's a couple of questions that come up, um, and I think we might have touched on it already. But we'll we'll just have a look. So, oh, how do Arsenal approach Europa League? Well, we discussed that. Um, manager squad. Yeah, we've pretty much covered everything, guys, haven't we? We've got Chelsea coming up after Europa League game. What's what's our thoughts there? Because I don't think we'll be podcasting up until the next game. So we'll cover that game now. Chelsea, lads, Tony? Um, I would be... If someone offered me a point now, I'd be delighted. Um, whether we get... I mean, it's, it's a difficult place to go. We're quite fragile they since they lost that first game um they've been i mean they beat tottenham away they beat everton they beat leicester away all hard games um so i mean people when people go oh, they're not playing well they look at the first game but if you look at the three since then they've they've been well, they're, i don't know if there's anyone else they're definitely the best form well they've joined they've won three out of three so they're top of the form table from the last three games and they've mm. been hard games it's not like they've beat brighton huddersfield or watford or whoever bournemouth to beat three of the better teams mm. or the harder places to go. Um, it'll be difficult. It, it's inter- it'll be interesting to see how they start. Um, if they're looking to play with a ball more, they'll start Fabregas. If they're looking to be a bit more negative, they'll start uh, Bakayoko. I don't think Drinkwater will make his debut. I'll be surprised if they give him his debut in that kind of game. 
looking at us is difficult. As, as I said earlier, I think Welbeck could probably start because he's what he's done in the FA Cup final and whatnot and the Community Shield. The issue is they're both on huge pitches. Stamford Bridge is quite tight. So running the channels, although useful, is a lot harder. The passes into the channels have to be a lot more accurate when you've only got 20 yards to run into instead of 30 to 40. Um, hmm. Yeah, that said, I, I would take a draw if it was offered. But right now, that people might see that as negative or, or whatever. But being realistic, it's, it's yeah, a very good place to go up. Board's not great there. Um, we're going to have to stay with five to match them up. You have to match them up if you go over four in the middle or four at the back against them they will kill you um, so you're going to have to stay as we are and, and try and match them up it'll be interesting um, I'm not saying we haven't got a chance but I would definitely take a point now if it was offered yeah well what the 2-1 they played Leicester last or well, this week and then the week before was Everton the week before that was Tottenham they 2-1 they beat Everton 2-0 um, and then Tottenham obviously smashed Everton this week so I think we're in with a pretty good chance on it. Um, I agree. I'd be happy with the take the one point, but if we can take the three, so uh, look, it's a tough one. I'll be happy with a one-all draw, to be honest. I'll go with that. Uh, how about you, Carl? Yeah, I, I would be happy with a draw, but of course I'd want to go for the win. The one thing that you've got to be careful of is uh, Murata at the moment. The fact that Chelsea have been getting uh, quite a bit out of him the last couple of games. Um, and the fact, and the fact that I don't know if since then, considering we've played against him twice, I guess. I guess again, um, I think we played against him in China, and then obviously in the Community Shield. No, he wasn't there. He wasn't at China. Oh, was he not? Okay. Yeah, no, um, he wasn't there. No. Okay, but um, well, let's let's talk about the Community Shield. Obviously, we uh, we had him on lock there, but the fact that he's kind of been integrated more into the Chelsea squad now. Um, how are we going to mark him? I think we've got to have a very regimented defence against Chelsea. Uh, maybe a little less bombing up of the um, uh, the wing backs against Chelsea. I don't know. Maybe uh, put more put more of the attacking uh, workload on the front three. I think I just look and I think Murata scored in just about every all their three games. Has he? No, he didn't score against Tottenham. Alonso yeah. got both. Oh, okay. Well, he's, yeah, okay. Um, Sabi, what's your thoughts, mate? Yeah, I think uh, we should be uh, marking Morata, and I think I would love to see Murtasak in that game because I think Morata is very good in the air, and our uh, best defender uh, in the air is uh, Murtasak. So, yeah, it would be a difficult game, and if we win, it, I would be so happy because we haven't won in Stamford Bridge since ages, I think. And, uh, yeah, we... We can actually, I think, we can beat them because uh, I saw the game, uh, the uh, the highlights of the game against Leicester. They were not that convincing. I think the Kante, uh, the N'Golo Kante goal was Schmeichel's mistake. He could have saved it. And uh, Slimani missed a very good chance. So, it, it could have been a Leicester win easily. So, I think we have got a good chance to beat them. Yeah, I... Like I said, I'm happy with the draw. Yeah, you're right. We haven't we haven't beat them at Stamford Bridge since five three going past the hat trick. Yeah, yeah, 2011. Would that be right? Yeah. right? Um, I think five three. Yeah, yeah it's a five three. Last yeah, time we beat them, 2011, 29th of October, 2011, five three. There you go. Let's go. Come on, the Arsenal. 
Okay, anyone else got anything to add for this week? Nope. Uh, nope. I think we're good to Okay, just don't... don't play Ramsey and Jacker together. That's all against Chelsea. I don't 100%. want that to happen. Hundred percent them two play. Unless there's an injury during the week, them two will start at Chelsea. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Ramsey went all... I thought Ramsey played alright on the weekend. Yeah, having had a great game. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thank you for um, thank you everybody for listening. You can follow us at the at clockend underscore talk. Uh, our blog is clockend.blog. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Hit a little. There's a review thing on iTunes. Let us know we're going. Give us suggestions. Tweet us. Messages. Do whatever you want. Um, thank you once again for listening. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys.